In August 2006, a married and straight young lawyer spent the night at the home of his gay college friend. By morning, that straight young lawyer was dead, and the other three people in the house weren't saying a word about what happened. My name is Joe Batant, and for the pilot episode of Murder Tonight, true crime expert Laurie Roggenkamp and I will take a closer look at one of the most bizarre murder cases to rock the gay scene of Washington, D.C. It's the mysterious case of Robert Eric Wan on the pilot episode of Murder Tonight. Like I said at the top of the show, my name is Joe Batanz, and I uh, am the host, one of the hosts, of Murder Tonight. Today we're talking about the mysterious case of Robert Eric Wan, and I, I like to bring on true crime experts, so who better to bring on than one of the hosts of Bloody Podcast, Miss Lori Rockenkamp. Hello, Lori Rockenkamp. Hello. I you? want to know more about this crime. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was fun. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. I'll tell you my history with this case is I have a friend who's a real estate agent in Washington, D.C. And the house that this takes place in has changed hands multiple times. And he was one of the agents on the, I guess I'm assuming the most recent time is a few years ago. And he said, oh, do, this is a very interesting, somebody was showing me pictures of the room and stuff like that. And he goes, oh, this is a very interesting case. This is a murder case. And there there have been a couple of other true crime podcasts who've covered it. There's actually a whole um, limited series on Audible about this case. We're only doing a two-parter on it. But it's super – but when I was re- – and, and he told me this. I was like, okay, someone died. You know, you, know, you and I yeah. famously did a show called Flipped, Out, Flipped Off sorry, about yes. um, making over true crime houses. Um, and there were some of the cases where they're like, he shot her. The end. Like, there's no mystery yeah. around it or anything like that. Yeah, this... there was. There was like, but then also there were some that was like very, very gruesome. And yeah, they were like, but our bl- backsplash is the real crime. And it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, on this one, when I actually listened to the podcast about it, when I was reading about it, it has a lot of weirdness to it, a lot of lurid details. Ooh. It's um, it, it it is definitely a very good case, and I will tell you. I'll tell you this, it's still not fully solved. Laura, you're raising your hand. Why is that? I just wanted to, I don't know if this is going to detour us, but I just want to know, did you ever ask your real estate friend? Because I think by law, don't you have to notify people when there's a, when a crime has been committed, when a murder has been committed in a home? So did did he ever tell you how he went about that conversation? I don't know what the law is in D.C. I remember, remember in that murder show, remember they had, they had like a year or something. They had a number of time. By the point yeah. that my friend was selling it, because this happened, and this is a very important year in your life. You know, you I know why, and you know why. But it happened in two thousand six. So I don't know if the um, no, if, it wasn't an important year. I'm gonna say that you you keep trying to say it was an important year, but it was not. I did not nothing of note I in two thousand six. I haven't said anything. I'm just saying two thousand six was a, a landmark year for you and for the people in this case. Right? It was not. 
And not, maybe the people in this case, but definitely not me. Mm. I was just going by about my business, not doing nothing to nobody. So anyway, uh, so I think, I don't know if it, you know, it's been like, I don't know, maybe by that point it'd be like 14 years, 15 years, you know, when my friend showed me this, maybe less, but like around that. So I'm, I don't know if the, by that point you still have to tell them like, hey, 15 years ago, this gruesome murder happened in the house. Yeah. I wonder if you try and like skip through it. You're like, and you'll see there's a walk-in closet mm-hmm. and over there is a his and her bathroom sink mm-hmm. and a man was murdered in this house. And then for <laughs> walking into the hallway yeah. closet. Yeah. Right over here. You'll notice on these stairs. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you guys, you know, it's only 16 steps up. Um, but, uh, blood drips down very slowly. So it won't make it to the first floor. Uh, just so you, we'd happen to know this. We just happen to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying to do it very fast, but you're like trying to use it as like a, so a man actually died, but the way that the the house is shaped, you you could not see it if you walked in from the mm-hmm. front door. Yeah. So we we have an open floor plan, but I mean, it, you could stay hidden. You could hide a dead body if you wanted to. Yeah. Oh, how how is the privacy? Let me tell you this: in the master bedroom, <laughs> you couldn't hear a grown man scream. You know. <laughs> So, uh, it's, it's very, very private. You're going to have a lot of privacy here in the house. So much. So much. Okay. So the victim is a very nice looking man. It's, it's actually one of the things, you know, Lori, I'm new to true crime podcast. I know you are a veteran of true crime podcast with bloody podcasts. Yes. But- we do all female based crime. So women committing crimes. So yeah. this is exciting because I can now do, you know, talk about men committing crimes. So that's yes, fun. True. So you don't even so it's always has to be a woman committing crimes on bloody podcast. Yes, because okay. women are terrible too. That's my that's my mm-hmm. slogan for it. Yeah. But Maria has a more fine nuanced slogan. That's mine is women are terrible too. Okay. What's her nuanced slogan? Uh hers is I think bloody podcast is a true as a female feminine based true crime podcast or something like that. So hmm. interesting. So, uh, so what we're going to do, Lori, is we're going to play little pre-recorded segments that I made because here's why. This is uh, can I can I tell you my logic? Yes. Is I feel I wanted to get the facts correct and in the order that serves the story best. And I think if you're reading extemporaneously or just talking, you can make up some mistakes. So this is you know edited, and we're going to have the facts as laid out. And you know, there's a lot of people involved, so I really tried to. Um, That's smart. Because also a big thing is when you're reading, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I like to interrupt. No, that's so, good. Yeah. 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 So and that you way, can't interrupt. No, you recording. can. You can. Raise your hand while stop it. But what I'm saying is then, you know, with you you and I do a lot of shows together. So yeah. So when you interrupt me, I'll be like, yeah, and then RuPaul, and you'll interrupt me, I'll go like, what was I talking about? And then I'm like, I don't know what I was talking about. And then later, exactly. yeah. when I listen, I'm like, oh, I was supposed to give my... ATM password out. <laughs> I forgot that the murderer was the man with the black hat. Oh, yeah. awkward. Yeah, it is. That's what it's like. So anyway, yeah. so why don't we start the case? Okay. Okay. And we'll stop. Okay. I'm going to stop every 30 seconds to a minute or so. And we'll talk about what's going on. Here we go. Our victim is a fourth generation American of Chinese descent named Robert Eric Wan. In the 1990s, he was an undergraduate student at the College of William and Mary. 
It was there that he met fellow undergrad Joseph Price, a person who's very important to the story. Both of them go on to different law schools and go on to become successful lawyers. In 2001, Price, a known homosexual, meets a man by the name of Victor Zaborski, who works in marketing. Two years later, Price also starts dating a man by the name of Dylan Ward, who is, among many things, a children's book author, chef, and masseuse. I want to stop there for a second. One of the things that I learned is this Zaborski. Uh-huh. He worked for the company that um, everything I read was like, oh, he worked for the company for the got milk ads. They keep mentioning like, what, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> what does that matter? And every everything I read, he he was a marketing person. And he worked for the got milk company. Yeah, that's like my dad saying that he works for the for the Super Bowl champions, LA, LA Rams. Like, <laughs> like really, were you on the field? Yeah, well, I guess he, he worked in the marketing department, so he's, he's some sort of marketing genius, I guess. And then the was other he the guy, one, was mm-hmm. he the one who said got was somebody like we should say get milk, you know, like yeah. you get it. Yeah, and he was like, no, 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 got. no. no. And wouldn't it be funny if he was like, if he was eating a bunch of cookies? And they're like, Zaborski, what about you? And he was like, Oreo. And they're like, he's a fucking genius. <laughs> Got milk? Yeah. <laughs> just, he's like, just asking a question. He's like, Owen Bull. Owen Bull. Right? And they're like, oh, sorry. You didn't get it right. You know? Like, oh. I, I don't mean to make fun of it. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you. But I just love that you said that his price was a known homosexual. Oh, yeah. I just mm-hmm. imagine him walking down the street and somebody going, you know that homosexual, right? <laughs> known homosexual uh, Joseph Price. You know? Yeah. Uh, the Price is right. But, I you also know, love the idea of one guy being a children's author and a masseuse. Like he gets hired for a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a chef. Like he gets hired for a job and he's not 100% sure what they want. <laughs> Like he shows up and he's just like in like little chonies and they're like, and it's like, like it's like a children's party or like, it's like supposed to be like some sort of like intimate dinner that he's supposed to cook for. And he's like, yeah, I brought my massage table. (laughs) (laughs) He always brings a massage table, a salad bowl and a a long pen with with like one of those feathers. A quill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's ready. He's ready for it all. Sometimes all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, right. he's like, I'm not sure, 100 percent sure what I need to be doing. Let's carry on here. The three men enter into a thruple. Oh, I, I stopped it too soon. That's right. These guys are a thruple. But what's really weird is I get the sense that known homosexual Joseph Price. It's really like almost like a polyamorous relationship where he dates Zaborski and he also dates uh, Ward, the uh, masseuse. The so marketing the genius Zaborski and uh-huh. um, and Masseuse Ward. I feel I don't know. I don't know if I get the sense that they date each other. That's right? what I was gonna. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, based on what I've read, it always seems like it goes through a uh, known homosexual Joseph Price. And Juan is just the straight friend. He's, he's just like you friend. do you. Yeah, yeah. He's a straight friend. Robert Eric. Okay. Juan. All right. Here we go. In two thousand three, Price, the college friend, and Zaborski, the marketing genius. Uh, the OG couple actually attend the wedding of Robert Eric Wan and his wife Kathy. 
The next year, the gay thruple of Price, Zaborski, and Ward host the Wands at their swanky D.C. townhouse for Wands' 30th birthday party. Two years later, in 2006, Robert... That's a very important... A calendar year for you, Lori. A banner year for you, 2006. No, it was not a banner year. I was doing... I was just doing what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. Not not hurting nobody, not saying anything untoward towards anybody. Just doing what I do. So, one of the things they didn't mention here because it slowed everything down was, but the, the Thruple buys, so that when they have the, so the Thruple hosts, um, so he, they remain friends, uh, known homosexual price, college friend, known homosexual price, and Robert Eric Wan remain friends, obviously, because, um, at, for when Robert Eric Wan turns 30, the Thruple at their townhouse has a big 30th birthday party for him. Okay. Oh, okay. In the two years after he turns 30, the Thruple buys a super swanky, like, $1.5 million. Uh, I don't know how they make money. Well, I do know Robert Price is a lawyer. And then, we oh, marketing genius Zaborski. And maybe I'm sure that some yeah. of those massages came in, too. But they buy this $1.5 million house in D.C. in a swank in DuPont Circle. So since the birthday to what we're talking about now, they've bought uh, a nice house. Multi-level house. Okay? Okay. Right, here we go. Eric Wan, who lives in Virginia, takes a job with Radio Free Asia, which is based in D.C. Both he and his wife commute into the city every day. I'm going to stop there for a second. I didn't mention that Robert Eric Wan, and this becomes important later in, in, in part two, what, he was also a lawyer, and he worked at this law firm, a very prestigious law firm. One of the lawyers at that law firm, and he becomes more important in part two, was Eric Holder. Who who actually becomes right after this the Attorney General of the United States under Barack Obama? Really? Yes. So Eric Holder becomes the Attorney General um, right after this case, and um, but he was a lawyer at this firm. But then Robert Eric Wan leaves that firm and joins. I don't know why Radio Free Asia. And so, and I don't know if this comes across as easily. He and his wife live in Virginia. They already commute to D.C. all the time. Okay, but now he has a job that's specifically in D.C. and he commutes, and there's a reason why that gets brought up. Here we go. In late July, Robert Eric Wan decides he wants to stay late on the evening of August 2nd to attend a class that he needs to take for his law license and to meet the night shift employees of Radio Free Asia. Because it'll be a late night, he decides he'll stay in the city with a friend and then just go to work the next day. First, Robert calls a female friend, but she says no. Next, he calls an old college friend who says yes. Before we go on, yes, Lori. <laughs> Just was the female friend me? Yeah. Because I feel like, well, first off, I bet that female friend is now kicking herself. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I was thinking about that. Does she feel like, oh, my God, if I would have said yes? Um, How much therapy does she have to take? My dad, call, my dad uh, lives in Norba Linda, California commutes about uh, two hours to SoFi Stadium on the weekends, mm-hmm. which is in Los Angeles. And um, I keep telling him that he can stay at our apartment mm-hmm. because I just worry about him driving home late at night. Yeah. And so he called, he texted me yesterday and goes, uh, can I spend the night on the 5th and the 12th of mm-hmm. March? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, I really didn't expect you to take me up yeah. on it. So is he gonna, um, are you going to do it? 
Yeah. Because, oh, okay. I mean, I don't want to be like this female friend and say no and then. Yeah. And then he drives home and he gets hit by a car or something. Like that. Yeah. yeah. He goes to his, uh, you know, notoriously gay roommate's friend house and then gets murdered. Oh, yeah. I forget so. that you and your dad, your dad and some friends go on a gay road trip every year, right? Yeah. My dad and his friend Rick go on a, a camping trip mm-hmm. where it's just them in a little RV. Yeah. You know. But yeah, no, I, I, I could imagine of him call like some him calling a friend and being like, and them being like, oh, I don't, I don't really want you. Yeah. To yeah. But also like, yeah, that must be. Also, what was? Do you think this girl was? Why do you think she said no? Who says no? I mean, I think if it was a weekday, I would probably say no. Oh yeah, because he came home. You'll find this out later. I don't know if I mentioned it. He doesn't get home till like eleven. You know, he doesn't, he's, he's going to be out that late. And can I be honest also, I feel yeah. like, look, I think there are women who do this too, but I feel like men, for the most part, kind of like plan things last minute. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh yeah, uh, I'm going to a class. It's like a Tuesday night. Uh, can I spend the night at your house? And it's like, no, dude, like I got shit going on. Like, yeah. so, I mean, who knows? Maybe she just was like. Maybe it was a female friend that he, like, had dated before. Oh, yeah. We don't know anything about her. All right. Let's finish up this act here. Hold on. It was Charlie's Theron. It was. I've Kathy that he will spend the night at the home of college friend Joseph Price. You know, of the thruple and the one who threw his 30th birthday party? Yeah. Him. It would turn out to be the biggest mistake of Robert Eric Wan's life. So that's what we know so far, Lori. Any big thoughts before we move on to Act Two? Um, no. I just I, you know, what's interesting, and and you always find this with the with these cases. Mm-hmm. Well, not always, but just sort of how mundane everything is. Yeah, you know, yeah. like it makes you think about the little choices that you make. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. there definitely are some times where, you know, you'll have a case where somebody will be like, if I die, my husband did it. And you're like, bitch, leave your husband. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. like you're just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Or like a man will be like, if I die, my new wife did it. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well then you need to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Like what, you know, why are you going on a cruise with her? Where he's like, honey, why did you take out a $10 million life insurance policy on me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's those moments, but then I feel like, there are sorry i just heard like a lot that there are certain moments oh, where it's just make you scared like um a, like a, it's a dead body or something oh last week we got a lady knocking on the door <gasps> who was like super stars that was super disheveled mm-hmm. and she was like oh i'm going around the neighborhood and collecting was oh yeah it was me <clears throat> it was me and makeup <laughs> um i have to put makeup on to look disheveled <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my starting point yeah. with makeup uh-huh. um no so she was like i'm I'm going around the the air the neighborhood collecting uh canned goods aluminum uh, and aluminum cans yeah. and any kind of candy snacks you may have for soldiers for soldiers to, to send a care basket to them why would the soldiers want a can of like um vegetable <laughs> medley I know. No oh, thank God wouldn't this person be, sent me. Wouldn't that be the weirdest thing? Is you're like a soldier, like 
somewhere. I don't know where we have soldier station now, but yeah. a soldier station somewhere. And you open up a care package from a stranger and it's just like a bunch of like Campbell's soup. Spam. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Let's go over to act two. Here we go. Okay. On the morning of August 2nd, 2006, Robert Eric Wan and his wife took the Metro into DC together. They kissed goodbye as they parted ways. It would be the last time Kathy would see her husband alive. At 9.30 p.m., Robert called his wife to say that he had gotten out of class, was going to meet up with the night staff at Radio Free Asia, and then would head over to the home of his college friend, Joseph Price. At 10.24 p.m., Robert Eric Wan made a call to college friend Joseph Price to say he was on his way to the house. Meanwhile, college friend Joseph Price and the other members of the Thruple had just finished dinner and were cleaning up the mess from a shower that had overflowed in the master bedroom. That must have been super awkward. Like, he's like, all right, I'm on my way there. And they're like, oh, the shower overflowed, you know? Yeah. Isn't that always the case, though, when you have company yeah. come over? That's when everything goes to shit. And you're like, no, I swear my apartment's actually nicer than what it is right now. Let me ask you a question, because you are a true crime expert and a veteran of the true crime podcast. One of the things I struggled with when I was writing these pieces was that everything that I'm telling you that quote unquote i mean the police have a record that he called from his office to the house but everything that uh college friend price marketing genius uh whatever his name is davorsky or whatever uh zaborski and masseuse ward say happened is just what they say happened does that make sense yeah we don't yeah. have any proof that's what happened but I, I make it seem like it's fact but we don't know that it's fact well i i when that happens i always just say that like you know, Zaborski said. Yeah. So then that way you have that, that version, but it's, it's known that it's, it's a, not an, a, a reliable narrator. Yeah. So everyone so. listening, what you're hearing right now, according to the things that happen, and I'll point it out as they come along, like, especially that there was, that the shower overflowed. And I think there's a reason why they said that, that the watching TV stuff probably was boring. Yeah. But that probably really happened, but let's keep going. Here we go. By the time Robert Eric Wan arrived at the house between 10.30 and 10.40 p.m., marketing genius Zaborski was in bed watching Project Runway in the master bedroom. Meanwhile, downstairs in the kitchen, college friend Joseph Price and masseuse Eric Ward chatted with Robert Eric Wan over some glasses of water. Around 11 p.m., everyone went to their respective rooms. How does that work? Like, all right, everyone. We're just going to go to the room now. Yeah, how do you pick which room to sleep in? Well, they had their so so. I should make this clear because I I didn't want to bore everyone with the the word description of the house. So there's the the downstairs where the kitchen and living area are. Then the second floor is only the masseuse's bedroom. Okay, and then, oh. and I think there's another bedroom there too. But the masseuse lives down on the second floor, and then on the third floor is um the master bedroom. With and that's where college friend Price and uh marketing genius Zaborski reside, you know. Oh, so it seems like Zaborski and Price are more the relationship, and yeah, the masseuse is sort of like the second, yeah, that's like what the, I kind of get, yeah, yeah, he, oh, that, okay, yeah, and I think he's involved with Price as well. I don't, I've never seen a thing where Zaborski and, and Ward interact. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay, here we go. And I think that explains a lot of what my theory of what happened. When you hear about it. Anyway, here we go. It was a hot night. 
So college friend Price asked everyone to keep their doors and windows closed to get the best use of the air conditioning. Masseuse Ward took a sleeping pill and read a book before falling asleep. That's what he claims he did. He claims that he took a sleeping pill and read a book and then he fell asleep. Okay. What book? Uh, How to Murder People. <laughs> yeah. Best, a uh, hundred best alibis. Yeah. <laughs> As he nodded off, he heard Juan taking a shower in the bathroom down the hall. In the master bedroom, college friend Price said he watched five or ten minutes of television before marketing genius Zaborski wanted to sleep, so college friend Price turned off the TV around 11, 10 p.m. I want to stop right there. I didn't put this in here. I don't even know if this network still exists, but he says he watched five to ten minutes of Spike TV. And I was like, what gay guy watched Spike TV? They had, like, reality shows and stuff. So maybe he, like, watched Ink Master or something. <laughs> like the Joe Schmo show. Or Joe, Spike- yeah, Joe Schmo show. or Like, they had, like, dumb um, reality game show kind of stuff, too. But it's not around so. anymore, right? What is it now? What did it become? It's Paramount. It oh. merged, and now it's Paramount. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, here we go. For the next 25 minutes, all was peaceful. But soon everyone's lives would change forever and for robert eric juan he wouldn't live to see the clock strike midnight all right laurie so that's what we know so far this is the setup to everything that's going to happen right do you have any big questions or anything you want to know about or anything yeah i mean i i kind of would like to know i don't know why maybe I'm, i might be reading into it but mm-hmm. is there something going on with price and juan like so, is juan <clears throat> actually straight so that's a big question and um, unfortunately a lot of the details of that i will say this is what i'll say in every official report there's nothing to lead anyone to believe that juan was anything but straight however there are some evidence and facts in the case that um, will lead us to believe that something happened. And that's what kind of leads to my theory of what happened. Um, so, um, yeah. So, okay. I, yeah, we'll learn, we'll learn much more about that part in episode two. Uh, are there any other questions? Um, hmm. Not at the moment, no. Okay. Um, you know what's so funny is there's a part, I didn't put it in because it was sort of boring, but there's a part when Robert Wan, he calls his wife at 9.30 p.m. We know this. It's a record. And she reports it, and there's no reason for her to lie, that he said he was leaving his class, he was on his way back to work to meet the night shift employees, and then he would go to the house. On the way from the class to his job, there was a, a co-worker who was also at the... Um, class uh-huh and uh they went to subway and they ate a sandwich on the way and can you imagine that your last meal of your life is subway oh. <laughs> and this is when jared was like you know oh, not yeah. a mol- child molester yeah. Yeah. so this is when jared was pretty you know well mm-hmm. known mm-hmm. um yeah that's rough 
There's also a weird fact in the case, because they mentioned, I think I mentioned this, that Zaborski said that he was in bed watching Project Runway when, um, and I don't know why this is relevant, why they mentioned this in the police report, but Zaborski tells the investigators he discovered that some channels had been canceled during his recent trip, and they had to renew to watch it. Okay. <laughs> and then also he, had a, he watered his plants before he went to bed. No I mean, that's it. just like somebody just throwing shit at a wall and seeing yeah. what sticks, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know who's who's considered guilty or not, but mm-hmm. I have a feel. I mean, Zaborski could be guilty, mm-hmm. but I also feel like if I were to talk to the police about my day, I would, I would be like, you know, they could be like, what else did you do? And I'd be like, well, I watered my plants. And then what else? Well, I called uh, Spectrum to get my to get Project Runway back on. Yeah, I don't know what channel it is. So Oxygen, I guess. Mm-hmm. Sure. I to get Oxygen back so I can watch Project Runway because I really like that show. Yeah. Well, what else did you do? And then I watched Project Runway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I watched another yeah. episode of Project Runway. Um. All right, let's get to the to the Act Three. Here we go. Actually, this is where now. This is this is the big. Deal, Lori. Here we go. Okay. At some point, college friend Price and marketing genius Zaborski are awakened by the door chime. They thought nothing of it because they had a female tenant who lived in the basement. They assumed it was her. By the way, it's one of those door chimes, you know, like when you, if you ever have an alarm system in your house, anytime someone goes in and out of the fucking house, uh, oh, yeah. They, it rings, which I hate because then I couldn't sneak out of the house to go to McDonald's. We have the ring at my, well, uh, not at the apartment, but yeah. at my aunt's house, we had the ring. Yeah. So, yeah, that was always a bitch because I sometimes I would leave the house, go to Del Taco, my aunt would be like, it's 10 o'clock at night. Yes. And I'd be like, yes. yes. Ugh, it's the worst for fat people or people who want to have sex. Yeah, here we go. Problem or is. That she, both. Yeah, true. Both. I just said problem is. She had decided to spend the night at a friend's house that night. Oh, yeah. Let me t- explain it. I talked over it. They hear the door chime and they think it's their roommate. But they have a tenant who lives in the basement. They think it's her. Even though she told them, I'm not coming home tonight. And she didn't. She didn't come home that night. So she's not really relevant to the story, but that's who they thought it was, according to them. But she's she's staying at the female friends that said no to Juan. That's, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. At 11.35 p.m., the Thruples' next-door neighbor, William Thomas, heard what he called a desperation scream from the Thruple house. He remembered the time because his wife was watching reporter Maureen Bunyan on the television, and that night, her segment ran around 11.35. I want 100% everyone to know, this these people right here would 100% be my parents. My parents would be like, oh, well, yeah. I know because I was watching Blue Bloods. And every time when, when Tom Selleck was on, and they would be right. They would be right. They would be right. Yeah. My dad, oh, I, I see, I wouldn't be able to tell you who was a news, news person, but my parents know for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They know, they the know news people, local news people. What's yeah. funny, and I don't know if this will come up in the second part, so I'll say it now. The defense attorneys try and claim, I'm not going to say the defense attorneys for whom, Try and claim that he, this guy was wrong and that it was actually a different newscast 10 minutes later. But uh, I think this guy was right. I think this guy's like, no, nope, <laughs> I knew him. I know my, you know, Juanita, you know, Burnside. 
And he's on the stand going like, you can't, you can't tell me that I don't know my difference between newscasters. Between Colleen Williams and Kelly Lang. All right, here we go. 11.49 p.m. There's a frantic call to 911 for marketing genius Zaborski. He's distraught. He's crying. He says, we think there was an intruder and a house guest has been stabbed. There's blood everywhere. Send an ambulance. The dispatcher tells marketing genius Zaborski to use a towel or rag and apply pressure to the stab wounds. Marketing genius Zaborski says that college friend Price is already doing so. When the paramedics arrive, marketing genius Zaborski is afraid to open the door, but the dispatcher convinces him it's safe, and he goes downstairs to unlock the door for the paramedics. All right, I'm going to stop there. So one of my favorite, I didn't put this on here, but they mentioned this in the report. So marketing genius, and this explains so much, and I kind of love this part of the story. So marketing genius Zaborski um, calls, he's frantic, he's distraught, like I said, right? Mm-hmm. But the report states that the dispatcher, for the entire seven minutes she was on with him, thought Zaborski was a woman. <laughs> okay, ma'am. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm telling you, there's a dead guy in my bedroom. You know, I, I would love if at the end of the call he was, he was, he was like, oh my god, thank you so much. Oh my god, thank you, thank you. She's like. Okay, ma'am. I'm I'm just I'm glad you're saying I am not a ma'am. I'm a sir. <laughs> yeah. No. That wasn't Oh, that's right, hilarious. Here we go. I'll murder you. Anyway, here That'd we go. be like if I called 911 and they're like, "All right, sir." Yeah. <laughs> what happened? When I was like 11, I used to like to call places and get free catalogs, no matter what it was. I just liked things being sent to me. Yeah. So one time I called a Weight Watchers camp to get a catalog sent to me. And she, I was like 11. So I, you know, my voice hadn't changed. So she was like, ma'am, yeah, we'll send you this. I'm like, oh, that's so funny. Even then, Wait, why funny. did you like getting catalogs? I just sent loved you. catalogs because I think I liked getting mail. Cause then you get the <laughs> mail and I'd be, and my, and my friends are like, why are you getting mail? What? They knew your name. So they called you ma'am, but they knew your they you said the name Joe Batance. I must have put my mom's name on that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it was for women. It was specifically for women. I just wanted to get catalogs. I love What were the catalogs that you got? Just sell at Boy Scout camps, all any and for anything. If I saw a commercial where they said call for a free catalog, I would call and get the free catalog. <laughs> and what was the process? Would you just say You just call and you give your address and they send you the catalog. Do you have to say that you're over 18 or anything? Or I don't remember them asking me that. I must have lied. I don't know. I got catalogs. Do you? Did you, like, read them and save them? Oh, or yeah. Lo- I loved reading them, and they were beautiful. Yes, I loved getting catalogs. Yeah. Hmm. All right, here we go. Paramedics Baker and Weaver had arrived at 11.54 p.m. When they arrive at the door, Zaborski is on the phone with a dispatcher. He's wearing a white bathrobe. When paramedics Baker and Weaver ask him where the stabbing victim is, marketing genius Zaborski motions up to the second floor. Partway up the staircase, the paramedics encounter Masseuse Ward, who is also wearing a white bathrobe. They ask him what's going on. Ward doesn't say a word. He just casually points down the hall and then saunters into his own bedroom. When the par- so This is something that's constantly talked about. Is that, and and I'll, I'll mention it again later. You'll hear it. One of the things that paramedics say, I don't know if it's in the report or later in interviews, it's one of the most chilling things they've ever seen in their entire lives. 
is that they're there for an apparent stabbing victim and everyone is super, super calm. Like the masseuse is just like, yeah, he's just over there and then walks in his bedroom. I have a theory as to why they did that actually that makes sense, but it was very scary to them. Really? I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it makes kind of sense though. You know, you desensitize yourself. Mm-hmm. to it especially if you're like especially if you're the murderer yeah true good point <laughs> paramedics walk into the room they find the victim robert eric juan lying face up on a fold out bed his head is laying on a pillow the pillow is fluffed and the only indentation is the one under juan's head juan is lying on top of the fully made bed with the exception of the comforter and top sheet which are folded down at a 45-degree angle. Juan is dressed in a t-shirt and shorts, and he has his anti-teeth grinding mouth guard in his mouth. At the edge of the bed, college friend Price sits with his back to the door. When the paramedics ask what happened, college friend Price says he heard a scream, and then he moves out of the way. All right, let me stop there first. I tried to stop earlier, but it didn't work. I don't know if I painted that scene correctly. What's very weird is that he wasn't in the bed. There's no struggle. The, the bed looks completely perfect, except as if, like, one has been carried and gingerly laid on top of the bed. Yeah, it's interesting that you said he has, his mouth guard, because I before that, I was like, is he even asleep? Like, it, I, mean, I mean, they could have put that in there, too, but it just seems like he himself was ma- ready for bed, but it doesn't seem like that was the bed that he was sleeping in. There's an important conclusion that the police come to that will be in episode two that they think uh, was important why he had the knife, the mouth guard in. All right, here we go. On Juan's body, the paramedics find three slit-like stab wounds in his abdomen. There is no sign of life. There's little blood other than a thin film of blood on the wounds. Later, the paramedics recall that the three men look freshly showered and are acting very calmly. The paramedics find the situation chilling as they're used to people being hysterical in these situations. Back in the bedroom, let me get into the description of what's in the bedroom, but what do you think of that, Lori? If you showed up to some like a murder scene, people are just super calm. I mean, I, 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 see, the problem with that is, and I, I've, we've talked about this on the podcast, the bl- bloody podcast too, is that, you know, I come from a family and maybe you, I don't know, you come from, seems like you come from a, a busy family too, but my family is the calmest when shit is hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. Like when stuff is going terribly, we're very calm and, you know, just kind of going through the motions. And then we freak out later. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see anything too crazy about that. But I definitely think it's so to me, I don't put a chilling aspect on it, but I definitely do see like a, a reserved, like almost like a, uh, there's a specific reason why, you know, like mm-hmm. either a, either they're just not, they just, ha- it hasn't registered with them. Right. Or B, mm-hmm. if they fall freshly showered, if something's going on and they're, they've all like had the, talking to essentially like this is our story and we got to stick with it sort of thing oh it's interesting i think that's one of the theories i think and i think that and i think what you said with the the get our story straight is part of it but price is a lawyer 
And I yeah. think he told them, this is my theory, because I've seen many videos on this, never, ever, 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 ever talk to the police. And so I think yes. Price is like, no matter what happens, do not say anything. <clears throat> yes. Well, the, I mean, but see, that's the thing. The problem I feel like with our, well, not the, not the one problem, but many problems with our justice system is that, um, to ask for a lawyer or to ask for something is seen as signs of guilt. Mm-hmm. When I feel like that's your go-to, like yeah. if I, if I came home tomorrow and something had happened to star, the, I would call 911. And then the second thing I would do is I'd call my mom and I'd say I'm an attorney mm-hmm. because you just, you don't want to, put yourself in that situation because the cops are just looking for the easiest yes. thing that they can do. Yeah. So if they, you know, if they see you and they see, you know, they're going to, I mean, and also it just works out that most of the time it ends up being that person anyways. Mm-hmm. So, but, um, but yeah, I have a feeling that they probably were coached, mm-hmm. but it could also be like, it could also be that they're innocent and they were mm-hmm. coached. It could mm-hmm. also be that they're, you know, that they're just people who just aren't, you know, we all deal with shock and grief in different ways. And so I've never understood people putting that kind of pressure on somebody to act a certain way. Yeah. In fact, for me, because of how I grew up, when people are overly emotional, I think something's suspicious. Oh, interesting. So when, you know, when people are crying and, you know, like, um, just the way I was raised, I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but the way I was raised, if I, like, let's say I went to a funeral and I saw, like, the uh, funeral of a man and the daughter was crying. I'd be like, all right, we get it. You know, like that's just how I was raised to not, you know, not excessively show emotion. I don't say that out loud because that's, I'm not my mother. It went from normal, but it now it's not, it's went to crazy. All right, let's finish up. (laughs) Let's finish up the description of the room. Juan's personal items are undisturbed on a table at the foot of the bed. Two wallets are there filled with cash. See, Juan carried a dummy wallet in case he was mugged. His cell phone, watch, and night guard case are also there. On the nightstand is a black-handled knife from the kitchen downstairs with Juan's blood on the blade. Nearby is a white towel with Juan's blood on it. Some towels are folded over the back of a chair. Mrs. Juan says her husband, Robert Eric Juan, is fastidious about hanging towels after using them and not just leaving them on the floor. So, Lori, that's the first half of the mysterious case of Robert Eric Wan. Based on the limited information, you have a lot about the murder and stuff like that, but based on the information you have, what do you think has happened? Um, I got to be honest with you. I think, okay, I, there, there's a couple of different scenarios that mm-hmm. I could, it could be. Uh, it could be that it was a spat between Zaborski and the masseuse. Because it seems like Price is, you know, kind of dating both of them. And mm-hmm. maybe Juan got involved mm-hmm. and was stabbed. Um, it could be that maybe one of the three of them, one of the three, or maybe, you know, two or whatever, thought that maybe Juan was going to be up for some pl- some kind of gay thing. And he mm-hmm. wasn't. And then they killed him. And, Interesting. you know. Mm-hmm. There was a struggle and they killed him. Um, you know, it could be that, you know, it could be something super sadistic too. I mean, I don't really know too much about the relationship between uh, the three men. 
So maybe they, you know, they were like, well, this is how we show our love for each other by killing this man. And then we have an un- undeniable pact and that mm-hmm. binds us together. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I think definitely either all three of them or one of them or, you know, possibly two of them were involved and the three and, but all three are covering it up. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of times people think that people use the defense that there was a robbery and, um, robbers, I would say statistically do not murder. Yeah. (laughs) And they also don't just murder and then leave. Um, robbers are there to rob you. Mm -hmm. You know, people break into houses most, most of the time people break into houses to rob you. Yeah. Um, well, that's why so, you're the crime expert. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if there was a, I could see maybe there being a struggle and, you know, but like you said, there was nothing, nothing was out of place, mm-hmm. you know? And if there was a struggle, there would be no reason for the three men to cover it up. So, yeah. Well, Lori, more will be revealed next week. I don't, we don't have a closing line yet for murder tonight. Do you have a, a, an idea for a closing line? Uh, I look forward forward to murder tomorrow. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you guys next week on Murder Tonight.